Over the weekend, two banks collapsed thanks to bank runs sending crypto in a downward spiral and affecting NFT drops. So today we're going to discuss how these two banks collapsed and why this matters to Web3 and the greater economy. Hello, I'm Taj, digitally known as Tropic Vibes, the host of Nifty Business, where we highlight NFTs and explore Web 3.0 as we move from pure speculation to creating real-world value. So first of all, I must say that this could get very technical, but I'm going to give a broad overview as if I'm flying over this subject and I'm going to give some highlights here and there and summarize things and condense it down. I know I'm going to be oversimplifying it, but at the end of the day, I'm just going to point you in the direction in case you want to go research it further, give you some resources that if you want to really go down this rabbit hole, it could go very deep. But there is a lot happening and it's going to really fall down into three categories. Number one, A bank run is a self-fulfilling prophecy that will crash a bank. Number two, there is a war happening right now on crypto. It's called Operation Choke Point 2. And this is an orchestrated effort by different organizations and the government and so forth. And this is actually open out there. This is not a conspiracy. This is the second time that it is happening and it is well underway right now. And number three, we're marching towards a CBDC, a central bank digital currency, and it's called the Fed Now. It's about to roll out within a matter of months. And what happened over the weekend really paves the way for that. So first, we're going to start with the Silvergate collapse. A lot of people don't even know who Silvergate is because relatively speaking, it is a small bank. They have $14 billion in deposits, at least at the peak before everything fell apart. And to give you a little perspective, Chase is 145 times bigger. Bank of America and Wells Fargo about 100 times bigger. U.S. Bank, about 30 times bigger. So relatively speaking, $14 billion is a lot of money to an individual. However, in the grand scheme of things, the banking industry, it is a fractional amount, and you really wouldn't think it would make that big of an impact. Well, despite starting as a relatively local, regional bank, mainly focusing in real estate, after the 2008 financial crisis, which they went through actually very well, they had good leadership, they did not take on those risky loans in real estate, and they came out of that pretty much unscathed. Then they got involved into crypto. And for the most part, that is why we're speaking about them today. Most people don't even know it, but over 60% of the US dollars to crypto transactions happens through Silvergate Bank because most banks do not want anything to do with crypto, but Silvergate Bank being a small bank, that is where they found their niche. They're servicing that and allowing people and institutions to go from the US dollars into Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and so forth. So a lot of the exchanges such as Coinbase, Kraken, and many others use them to get their funds in and out. Now, there's that saying that crypto never sleeps. Well, here's the thing. The banking industry is typically Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So transactions do not happen during the other hours, and that is very inconvenient for crypto. Now, with Forex, the thing about that is it is a global exchange, and depending where you're located, whether it is New York, London, Tokyo, it is open for the most part Monday through Friday, but then on the weekends, it still shuts down. Huge problem for crypto. So Sen is a 24-7 hour network that Silvergate created, and it allows crypto onboarding on and off exchanges. Most people don't know this because they're working with their exchanges, such as Coinbase, as I said. So they're not directly interacting with Silvergate Bank. So Silvergate Bank is servicing those exchanges. So most people have no idea who they are, but they're the ones who are behind the scenes processing everything, making it possible for people to take their money in and out. And of course, crypto is going down. A lot of their assets are associated with crypto 
And as things start to get a little bit shaky, people start to question, do they have enough funds to continue operations and so forth? If you're following the newsletter at niftybusinessweek.com, you'd have seen that I said Silvergate was in trouble and they were possibly on the brinks of collapse because they delayed their filings and there was a lot of questions about if they had enough funds to actually continue operations and so forth. And that was mainly because of a self-fulfilling prophecy of a bank run. Once people start to get a little bit nervous, they start to pull out their money. And when that happens, things start to spiral out of control. And as a result, they delayed their SEC filings. Their managers actually announced that there might be some financial troubles. And again, this put everything into high gear. More people started to pull out. So essentially, the collapse of Silvergate Bank was inevitable. But when they turned off the SEND, which is a Silvergate exchange network, that 24-hour exchange that allows the onboarding and offboarding of crypto from US dollars, that was the nail in the coffin. Once they made that decision, it was all over from there. Now, there's a lot of rumors going around as to why Silvergate was put in this position, compromising and so forth. There is a lot of conspiracies as far as them getting ready to launch a stable coin, which would be in direct competition of the Federal Reserve's digital currency called the Fed now. But I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole. Simply put, all I want to say is that the Federal Reserve wants to control the U.S. dollar supply simply because if you control the supply of a currency, you can then use it in any way that you please. And just giving a quick example, again, not going too far down this rabbit hole, is that wars end once the gold runs out. And this is why historically gold standards were ended during war times and what have you, because once the soldiers aren't paid anymore, then they are going to go home. The war ends, right? So during the Civil War and even before that, there's different examples of payments being stalled or diluted, converted out in different ways when you have something like a US dollar or a central dollar, meaning that they can print more, they can always increase the supply and do whatever they have to do to keep things going. And that was the main reason why Bitcoin was created. And again, if you want to go deeper down that rabbit hole, the best place that I can actually recommend is the Bitcoin Standard. It is a book explaining monetary policy, how this stuff works, and giving you a great understanding as to why Bitcoin exists and everything. That will be in the show notes. So in essence, whether you believe that it is a conspiracy to bring down Silvergate Bank or it was just a natural course of events, either way, Silvergate Bank is no more. They collapsed. Now, the second bank is the Silicon Valley Bank. Now, this is a much larger bank, still relatively small compared to everything. It is the 16th largest bank in the U.S. with deposits of about $175 billion at its peak. Now, the same thing started to happen here. Customers started to withdraw their funds, and it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Again, the more people that are going to withdraw their funds, things get out of control, and it makes it more likely that that bank is going to collapse. Now, Although Silicon Valley doesn't have anywhere near the amount of transactions and percentage of the market that Silvergate had, they were still seen as one of the banks that were very favorable toward the crypto industry. However, it's not just the crypto industry. A lot of tech companies had their funds deposited there, such as Etsy and quite a few companies that have large deposits there. But the reason why this one affected the crypto market so much is because about $3.3 billion worth of Circles funds were deposited there. And if you're not familiar, Circle is one of the companies that's behind the USDC stablecoin. And the fear and panic that all of that fund would be lost is why the USDC coin depegged over the weekend. So I don't know if you were looking at it, if you look at the charts, that it was not worth a dollar. It went down significantly over the weekend. And a lot of people were panicking that the same thing that happened to Terra stablecoin was going to happen here. And the reason for this is the FDIC only insures... $250,000 worth of deposits. So if a company 
such as Circle has $3.3 billion deposited there, the majority of that is going to be lost. Now, you might be wondering, well, why don't they just spread it across a bunch of banks? Well, first of all, not every bank is going to be friendly towards their business practices, want anything to do with crypto funds or anything of that nature. But also, spreading out billions over a lot of accounts is going to take a lot of banks and a lot of accounts is really not efficient. So even in the case of Etsy, which is not a crypto company, they're going to have a lot of money in one place well over that 250000 simply because their bills are so much larger. So it doesn't make sense to only have 250000 per account. Of course, they're going to spread out their funds. However, a loss this big is still going to be considerable. But because so many companies were saving at this bank and it would have affected the greater economy, it would have been massive layoffs and a lot of craziness based on what we saw happen in 2008 when those banks were starting to go under. Well, they did not want that to happen. So the government stepped in and actually saved Silicon Valley Bank. Unlike Silvergate, Silicon Valley was basically dubbed too big to fail. Not really too big to fail like the big ones, Chase and Wells Fargo and all of those. However, in the case of the economy and everything that's going on right now, it would have been a major risk for them to fail. So the federal government stepped in and they basically are going to prop up this bank, in essence, ensure that everyone's money is protected and they're not going to go out of business because there's a lot of panic going on right now. And if things were left up to the free markets, it was going to collapse probably by this morning. So with this said, like, here's the thing now. You're going to hear a lot about anti-crypto and there need to be more regulations. And this is when the politicians are going to get extremely loud and all sorts of things. And say Silvergate and Silicon Valley are the next examples as why this space needs to be regulated. And even people within the crypto and NFT community might even drift that way too. Because as we saw over the weekend, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, really all the major cryptocurrencies and even some of the stable coins, including USDC, of course, all took a major dip. And because of this, some NFT projects couldn't even launch because they were using some of these services and banks, whether it's USDC or Silvergate to actually help to process these. Some of these projects do offer fiat minting and so forth. So everything was sort of delayed over the weekend. So all of this is going to be in the psyche of the crypto community. And then with the regulators breathing down our backs and everything, they're saying that this space needs to be regulated. But these are two banks that are regulated and they're following all the rules, getting FDIC approval and FDIC insurance, I should say, following all the depository frameworks and everything that was there. But here is the crazy thing. This is actually why Bitcoin was created. And this system that they were using and playing in is why crypto is important. And most importantly, why the current banking system is a danger. There's something called fractional reserve lending, which basically means that a bank only has to have a certain amount of the reserves or their deposits, I should say, on hand. Because as I said, just like Etsy and those companies that have millions or even billions of dollars deposited, the odds of these customers showing up all at the same time and withdrawing everything on the same day are very small. So because of this, these banks are only required to have a small amount on hand. However, when it comes to the fast moving pace of crypto and everything, this is a recipe for disaster. So in the case of Silvergate Bank, yes, this is a heavily crypto bank and a lot of their resources were invested into the crypto industry and supporting that. So knowing that at any minute their customers could go in and out, they follow the rules. However, those rules do not apply to the speed at which crypto trades. Regular banking does not require 24-7s access, major movements very quickly and so forth. But the real problem is that both of these banks actually had a large percent of their quote-unquote liquid assets or their sure, unrisky 
assets tied up in U.S. Treasury bonds. Now, unless the U.S. government goes out of business, I mean, like they totally go bankrupt, shut their doors and don't pay back any of their bills. Those are pretty much the safest investment, the safest bet, almost as good as cash that they could possibly have it in. They're going to have low interest rates, but they're guaranteed at the maturity date that they're going to get back their money and a little bit on top of it. But just using very simple numbers, let's just say that it is a $1,000 bond. Well, they might buy it for $990 and after a year or two years or whatever, then it's going to mature and they redeem it for that $1,000. So that little bit of interest is basically guaranteed. It's not much, but it is a lot better than having it sit there as cash and have inflation just basically erode its value. So that's what they put their money into, and that's their quote-unquote safe asset. However, when tons of people show up for their cash at the same time, they have to convert those bonds out into cash to give it to people. And this is where things went sideways for both of these banks. Over the last year or so, interest rates have been going up. And when interest rates go up, bond prices tend to go down. Why is that? Because nobody wants to buy a bond that was offered, let's say, a year ago that's only going to pay them back 1%. When they could buy a bond today, that's going to give them, let's say, 3%. So because of that, they have to discount the current sale price of a bond to match the actual interest rates that are currently being given. Now, that might sound very complicated, but just put it this way. The example that I gave earlier, I'm just going to use some random numbers. You can actually uh, plug some numbers in and actually figure this out exactly. But I'm just going to just throw some numbers off the top of my head. Let's just say that that 990 that they bought the bond for and then they were going to get $1,000 back after maturity date. Well, if interest rates go extremely high, no one wants to risk 990 just to get that $1,000 back because they could get a much better rate if they buy something new. So that 990 bond, if someone has to sell it today before it matures, they're going to have to sell it for, let's just say, 950 or 930 because the current market dictates that if I want $1,000, I don't have to risk 990 or tie up 990 because interest rates are much higher today. So that is why they had to sell those bonds at a loss because interest rates are so high. Nobody wants to pay the price that they paid for them, and they're going to take a hit in order to convert those out to cash. But when that happens, there's going to be a shortcoming. So let's just say that people show up for a million dollars worth of money. However, once you cash in those bonds, you only have $900,000. And this is just using simple numbers. There's a $100,000 shortcoming. Well, multiply that now by tens, hundreds, thousands, millions, and there's going to be a massive deficit and these banks are going to collapse. And that's why in the case of the Silicon Valley Bank, the federal government had to step in. But I'm not going to go too technical into that bond trading and how interest rates affects bonds and all this stuff. But just keep in mind that these are two heavily regulated banks operating within the laws. However, the problem that lies within the current banking system is actually why they ended up collapsing. And if you go all the way back to 2008, this is exactly why Bitcoin was created. But the narrative going forward is going to be that crypto is risky and crazy, and we need to get them under the banking system. But this is exactly what happened in this case. And it brought down crypto. It affected NFT drops. But most importantly, it paved the way for the Federal Reserve's digital currency. 
because without the Send network, that 24-7 network, the FedNow system is going to be an attractive alternative, and that ends up launching within the next couple of months. Now, there is one company out of the UK that is trying to launch something that would have competed with Silvergate's network. However, that is several months away. Most likely, the Federal Reserve System is going to launch before that, and that is very important to them because keeping supply of the US dollar is crucial to funding their operations and operating on debt and creating money. They are not able to control the supply of Bitcoin, privately created stable coins. And if you look up Operation Chokepoint, that was the failed attempt to squash all of this stuff a few years ago. But Operation Chokepoint 2 is in full effect right now. And it seems like they are much more effective this time around. But I think that is a good place to end right there. I don't want to get too complicated. I went really far down this rabbit hole as it is. But no conspiracy. If you just strictly want to know exactly how the monetary system works, Again, I'm going to plug that book, The Bitcoin Standard, that is going to be in the show notes. And of course, that is an affiliate link to Amazon. So if you do use that link, it does support the show. It doesn't cost you anything extra. But as usual, I just want to thank you for taking time to listen to this as we're learning and building Web3 together. So until next time, later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice. It provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.